Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Wow, we have an incredible episode here for you guys today. Mr. Carmine Apiece, one of the most influential rock drummers of all time, if not the most influential rock drummer of all time. He is here Speaking with me today, rock royalty in the house, and it doesn't stop there, guys, because Carmine's got this great album called Guitar Zeus, which he's going to tell us about, and the album is just loaded and laced with some of the greatest guitar players of all time, including Mick Mars and Pat Travers, both of who are also here on today's podcast to talk about Carmine apiece, among other things. Big shout out to Andrew Miller, who gave, wow, uh, just an amazing, hefty donation. Andrew, you rock. You have been a supporter of what I do for so long. And I just wanted to give you a special shout out here at the beginning of the podcast. Excuse me. Podcast. So, uh, Andrew, thank you so much for supporting what I do. You said you loved the Doro interview. Man, I got a lot of great feedback on that interview, so I'm glad you uh, liked it, and I'm glad most of you other people seem to like it. So thanks for listening, Andrew, and thanks for your hefty donation. Also, special shout-out to Jerry from Long Island, who bought a Talking Metal hoodie and also joined us on Patreon. So many great people on Patreon. Please uh, join us there. And, uh, yeah, big shout-out to all you guys on Patreon. Steve, Steven, Joe, Mike, uh, Fred, the whole the whole gang over there. I love all you guys. Thank you for supporting what I do. And, again, thank you to Andrew Miller for the hefty Talking Metal donation. Andrew, I know you had uh, requested a Motley Crue song. We will get to that on uh, another episode, okay? All right, cool. All right, guys, here we go. Talking Metal episode 802. It's the Carmine Apiece episode. Black Label presents Heavy Montreal, the heaviest festival in Canada. Back for a 10th edition. Two days of rock and metal. July 27th and 28th, outdoors at Parc Jean Drapeau. Witness Slayer perform their last show in Quebec ever. Performances by Ghost, Godsmack, Evanescence, Slash, Anthrax, Steel Panther, Kill Switch Engage, and many more. 
40 bands playing four stages on a festival site that you have to see to believe. Festival passes are on sale now. Visit heavymontreal.com. Produced by Avanco. Hi, I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. On this episode, we're going to talk some rock, some metal, and anything else we feel like. We're also going to jam some tunes, have a drink, and share some honest opinions. Thanks for listening to the Talking Metal Podcast. Let's get things started. Guys, this is an amazing episode. Rock and roll royalty in the house. Oh my God. Carmine, a piece. Vanilla Fudge, Cactus, Rod Stewart, Blue Murder, Ozzy Osbourne. The list goes on and on. Mick Mars, Mick fucking Mars is here on the podcast. I cannot believe it. You know, really, uh, we've had Nikki Six on. It was a long, long time ago. We had a brief, maybe one minute interview with Vince Neal. But this is amazing. Mick Mars, a member of Motley Crue on the podcast. I cannot believe it. And he is here to celebrate our favorite drummer, Mr. Carmine, a piece. We love Carmine, and Mick is uh, is here to chat all things Carmine with me as well. Of course, uh, we got to talk Motley Crue and his solo record, right? And then, oh, Pat Travers. Can you imagine? L- listen to this lineup. Carmine, a piece, Mick Mars, and Pat Travers on one episode of Talking Metal, legendary guitar player, Pat Travers, uh, I mean, it doesn't get any better than his playing. So freaking good. Uh, so what we're going to do is I'm going to just shut up because these interviews are long. They're they're great. There's all sorts of great stuff in these interviews. And uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll hit Mick first. Here we go. This is Mick Mars here on Talking Metal. Hey, it's Mark Striegel, and what an honor calling in for the first time ever. One of my favorite guitar players, Mr. Mick Mars. Mick, how are you today? I'm good. You make me blush. <laughs> well, really, it, it is a true honor. The first concert I ever went to was was a Motley Crue show back in 1984 on May 4th at the... Uh, Aragon Ballroom in Chicago. I'm sure you probably don't remember that show. You've played hundreds, if not thousands, of shows, but that was a good one. Yeah, but that was my birthday show. Was it really? Yeah. yeah. Wow, I seem yeah. to remember that. Yeah. May, May 4. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was nice to be younger. <laughs> right on. You and me both. But that was uh, a, that that show changed my life. And uh, big thanks to you and and the Motley guys because I walked in there a preppy little kid. My mom took me to that concert, and I came out yeah. uh, reborn as a rocker. And uh, you know, you've been there for me through the years with with all the the great music that you've given us, in, including a song that you did with Carmine. A piece, one of my favorite drummers, called "Under the Moon yeah. and Sun." It was on an album called yeah. "Guitar Zeus," and it's being That's reissued. Right. And we are celebrating Carmine in this episode. What's what's your first memory of of Carmine? A piece. My first memory. Okay, this this would go way back. I saw him with Vanilla Fudge on the Ed Sullivan show. Wow. Now, little did I know. That one day, I'd be playing with him because I was like a Vanilla Fudge fan. Right on. You know, set me free. I was just like, well, that's cool. And I thought, you know, 
Carmine's done so much stuff with Right Back and all those guys like that, all my heroes. And, you know, Rod Stewart and stuff. And I just went like, I played with the guy, you know, that I saw on, on TV, you know. And I went like, whoa, you know, like before I'd ever done anything, you know. Yeah. It was, it was, it, it's it's kind of weird to, you know, to play with people that are that are at that level, you know, and you go like, you know, and, and you know, seeing them as a kid is what I'm talking about. And then, right. You know, and then go on and then actually working with them, it's, it's, it's cool. <laughs> now, you did this song, Under the Moon and Sun, which also featured Edgar Winner. Was there any other songs that you, like, when did you first play with Carmine? Was was that the first time you did playing with him? Um, well, we did, uh, I, I, yeah, I think so. Um, we did, you know, a tour with with uh, Ozzy when Carmine was playing drums, and right, and that's when we became friends. And then, uh, you know, we hung out and you know talked about all sorts of stuff, <laughs> and you know, this led to a pretty pretty good friendship, you know. And but I think Zeus was the only thing that I played on with him. We might have jammed or something. I can't right. remember. <laughs> right on. But, uh, um, yeah. So he was he was on that tour with you guys. I know at some point he was basically, I think Sharon fired him from, from Ozzy's band. Was that while you guys were still on tour with, with Ozzy? Um, yeah, we were on with Ozzy for quite a while. I, I remember that, that little episode wasn't... Um, um, I think it was unfair, actually. But I'll, I'll have to leave it at that because I don't want to get too too into, you know, manager's politics or whatever you want to call it, you know. But I, I thought it was very unfair. Right on, yes. right, right on. And uh, coming back to the song that you do with him on Guitar Zeus also features uh, Edgar Winter. Can you talk a little bit about Edgar Winter? You, you've been a fan of his for a while? Yeah, since the beginning, when his when his brother Johnny, you know, came out, I was oh God, in my early teens, early early teens, and uh, and then I heard Edgar and uh, Edgar Winter's White Trash, and uh, that I just was going wow, you know, and stuff, and and I talked to him a little bit on the phone, you know, and I was, you know. It's crazy, you know, because I'm, you know, it, it seemed like, you know, like I say, you know, like all the, all the people like like I listened to, and and playing with them and stuff, you know, and and I don't know, it's just a very cool experience, a very cool, you know, couple of days, and just like you know, I had the time of my life. Cool, you know, I guess, you know. Awesome. Hanging out, yeah. So were you guys actually in a studio together then? You, you, like you and Carmine and Ed, yeah. Edgar all got together, or were they done the tracks done separately for the song? Uh, they, the tracks were done separately. I talked to, to uh, Edgar on the phone, because I, I, I had mentioned to uh, um, Carmine that I would like to meet him, but we did our tracks separately. And so I talked to him for a minute on the phone. It was, it was cool, really cool. Awesome. Um, 
Awesome. Great stuff. And we encourage all the listeners to go out and pick up Carmine's album, Guitar Zeus, which features so many great players from Brian May to uh, Vivian Campbell to, of course, Mick Mars, who we're talking with right now. And and Mick, you're out in Nashville now. Are you completely done living in L.A., or do you still have a place out there, too? No, I I don't have a place out in L.A. Just, just here in uh, good old Nashville, you know, just... Uh, Music City, I think they used to call it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, there's 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 a lot of people living here that I didn't even know. You know, like know we're living here. I mean, like you know, like plant or you know uh, those kind of you know people like live here. Uh, a drummer from Corn, Ray Lewis here and stuff. Right. You know, it's like it's like all. Oh, right here and i'm just discovering it <laughs> wow cool that, that so many people you know that used to live in la or used to live in new york or here right on you know? so it's uh yeah and you're you're making music out there you're in the studio you're recording stuff uh yes and it's it's taken me a little bit <laughs> a little um well i've been working on on this for years you know, and uh, trying to uh, um, get it right in 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 my way of thinking. You know, I just want like to put out a record to put out a record. You know, it has to be right for for me. I mean, people want to hear my music. It needs to be right. I'm not cutting corners to just like like I said putting out a record to put out a record. I, I just can't do it. So it's taken me a while. Right. You want it to be just perfect. I know for years we've been hearing rumors of different vocalists who may or may not be involved. I know Andy from Blackville Brides and John, even John Karabi. Are, are those tracks still, still in the works or are those kind of pushed off to the side for newer stuff? Well, those, those um, kind of, you know, uh, went away. I'm looking for like really a, a singer that's um, going to be with me in the recording studio. And if it blows up by any chance, which I hope it does, to be on tour. Because you know, uh, I, how many times have you gone, like, say, to a concert and it's like not the same singer? <laughs> like, right. You know, right. Well, you know. So. It's one of those kind of things, you know, and I have like, uh, you know, like I say, I, I, I would like to have like a, a few different singers, like, um, you know, for uh, like dip, different sounds, but like musician singers, like in, uh, oh, this is going to sound crazy, like the Beatles. They have, right. You know, the three guys that sang with all these Sure. And you could have John sing on a song or, or you know, Ringo or whoever, you know, but, uh, you know, that, that kind of a, of a thing I, is kind of what I'm going for. No, it is kind of is. Like, I'd like to do it, but if it happens, cool. If it doesn't, that's cool, too. Because no matter what, this record ain't going out until I'm really satisfied with it, you know? Right on. So where like where are you in the production of the record? Do you have basic tracks laid down and you're still looking for a singer or you already have some singers in mind? Like where where are you with the whole production of it? 
Um, I have um, drum tracks laid down, some bass tracks. My guitar tracks are all scratch tracks. No singers yet. I'm searching. <laughs> you know, okay. it has to be, you know, not, not invalidating any really great singers that's out there. It's just got to be this certain element that he has or or she, you know, has that is that I'm hearing in my in my head. It has to be that, you know, because I, you know, like I said, I just don't want to put out a mediocre thing, even though people might think it might be. I, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm striving for. I set my goals high, and if it works, cool. And if it doesn't, that's okay too. Right. Well, I, I don't think anyone would expect a, a mediocre thing from you, that's for sure. So, I, I, yeah, I cannot wait to hear it. And is it stylistically, like, are you going more blues, more hard rock? I mean, what would we expect, you think, stylistically from the record as far as the musical style goes? Well, I'm not. It's, I guess it's my own style. It's, uh, right. you know, um, is not really blues it has a you know my playing has a blues element to it of course but it isn't like what you would call like a, a blues record it's a more of a, a heavier rock thing but not enough you know i don't want to out try even try to out heavy the heavies you know what i mean and uh it's just like something hopefully hopefully just a little different than what what's going on now, or what I mean. I, you're not going to hear a, a Motley song, you know, like a, a Motley flavored song with me, except for the guitar. I mean, uh, right, because you know, that's that's just you. That's your style. Yeah, that's that's me. Yeah, but uh, no, they're going to be a, a a bit harder than that, but not. Hard is like the heavies, you know, like Ministry and some of those guys, you know. Right, right, of course. Cool. Well, you know, speaking of Motley, the new song I heard, The Dirt, I really, really like it, and you're sounding great on it, and I know there's uh, another, I think a Madonna cover coming out, and yeah. Yeah. and some, some other stuff, so I'm curious to hear that stuff. I guess it'll be released soon, but what about the, the movie? Have you seen the final cut of The Dirt? Yes, I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's what everything you hoped for, or how do you feel about it? Well, it's it's it has its high points and low points. It's like any movie, I guess. You know, um, I I don't know. I'm you know I'm not indifferent or like weird or anything about it. I just you know has its good points, bad points. Nothing. I mean, I I. You know, when you read a book and it goes to a movie, it's not quite the same. Right, right. I mean, it would be impossible. It would take ten, a 10-year ten movie, you know, 10, right. 10 years to write you know, what's all that's in the book, you know. So it's like, it, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's going to, I think the fans are going to really like it. Cool. I cannot wait to see it. Coming soon. I think, uh, what, a couple weeks it's released, I believe. Yeah, the 22nd. Right, cool. 10 days or something. I don't know. (laughs) 
Awesome. Somewhere around there. Yeah, I'm going out to California to do a whole bunch of press and stuff about it. Oh, fun. Cool. Yeah. And do you hear much from the guys, Nikki, Vince, or, or Tommy? Um, rarely. But, uh, you know, I I still have to do my part, you know, for, for you know, the Motley Corporation. There's, I, you know, the band is defunct, you know, but we're still... Uh, an LLC or corporation or whatever you want to call it, you know, watching over our our assets, you know, our our masters and that kind of thing, you know, it's doing that. But um, that's about it. Cool. Well, Mick, I really appreciate you taking some time to talk about the great drummer, Carmine Apiece, today on this episode. And we wish you all the best of luck. And we are very excited about the music you're working on. And please keep us posted when we can hear it. I absolutely will. Absolutely will. And you take care. Have a great day. I appreciate your time. Okay, Mark. Thank you. Okay. Goodbye, Mick. Bye. Bye.
Under the Moon and Sun. A little sound sample of Mick Mars, Edgar Winter, and Carmine Apiece off the guitar Zeus record. Go buy the whole version of that song on iTunes. Three legends on that song. Wow. Amazing stuff. And uh, yeah, big thanks to Carmine for hooking that up with Mick. Uh, Mick called my cell like a few days before the interview, and I, I picked up the cell and didn't know who it was. And uh, I hear a voice go, hey, Mark? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, it's Mick. And I was like, Mick, uh, Mick, Mick who? He's like, Mick Mars. <laughs> so we scheduled the interview, and uh, like I, I just cannot believe it. Uh, my first concert, Motley Crue, and uh, Mick Mars in the talking metal house today so big thanks to carmine for hooking that up and mick for for calling me cool so let's move on we're gonna talk to the man himself right now this is carmine apiece legendary drummer a guy who i have loved for years i remember back my good friend lonnie lane was a drummer and back in the early 80s when I was learning to play guitar, I was so jealous because, you know, I had these Mel Bay workbooks for my guitar. And, and even I even had kind of a, a hip blues teacher, but but there were no cool like like rock guitar instruction books at that time. And I know that's hard to believe because they, there's a lot of them nowadays. But back in that time, they were all very stale and boring. And I was so jealous of my friend Lonnie Lane because he had uh, this cool Carmine Apiece drum instruction book that he worked with with his drum instructor. And there was this cool picture of Carmine looking all badass on on the, the cover of the book. And as a guitar player, I was just so jealous that drummers had this cool way to learn to play drums and they had this this rock star writing books for them and yeah man i know and and i really feel like he revolutionized that not just for drum drumming but for guitar playing because you know years later not even years later after that we started to get guitar players writing their own instructional books and bassists and and carmine really revolutionized that which we didn't really talk about in any of these interviews but he he definitely did and big props to him for doing that and so without further ado let's hit some blue murder god we love blue murder right and after that we're gonna hear from carmine apiece legendary drummer here on talking metal
it's Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast, and it's been a while since we spoke with this guy on Talking Metal, and I'm so honored to have him back, a true rock and roll legend, drummer, Carmine Apiece. Carmine, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, man. I know we had we had brunch uh, a week or two ago in the city, but we, that was more just a casual yeah. thing with no interviews, so I'm glad to connect right. with you here on the podcast for official uh, an official interview again. Cool. Sounds good. Let's rock. Yeah, man. And first off, I want to talk to you all about the <laughs> the re-release of Guitars Zeus because there's some really cool stuff that we need to talk about with that. But how's your health, right. man? I know you had a health scare recently, and I just want to oh, make sure you're doing all right. I'm back to normal. Everything's good. Cool. Yeah, everything's good. I took care of it last year, and it's been over a year. And uh, we're good. You know, it's like... Uh, Back to normal, back playing, back, uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of interviews for Guitar Zeus and, uh, and traveling went back and forth to L.A. and uh, just in Memphis and, you know, just, uh, you know, everything back to normal. We've got gigs coming up in a couple of weeks. We've been all fudge in the Midwest, and I hope it's warmer then. Yeah. <laughs> I got this, I, I got a, a cough that, you know, once you get a cough, in these winter months, it lasts for weeks, you know. Yeah, it's always hard to shake. Other, other, other than that, I'm I'm good, you know. Good, good. Glad to hear that. And again, Guitar Zeus is a album and a project that you had back in the the '90s, and it is being re-released with some new stuff included on it. And let's yep. let's just talk about this, because, I mean, it's staggering, and it really has never been done before. I can't think of anybody who has had so many guitar greats and guitar heroes on one album. And let's, let's talk about where this originally started and how it all came about, because, I mean, we have everyone on this record, from Brian May to Steve Morris to, uh, I mean, John McEnroe is on the record, Warren Martini, Doug Aldridge, Leslie West, uh, Jennifer Batten, who I, I love, you know, who we know from Michael Jackson, but also she was so much more than that. I was so glad she was a part of this. Pat Travers. I mean, the list goes on and on. Mick Mars. How did this all come about? Well, uh, it started when I was uh, with a band called uh, Mother's Army. We, we didn't have a uh, a name yet. We were, we were looking to uh, looking around for names, so we we came up with the name Zeus as one of the the names, you know. But that's we didn't use it, you know. Uh, so I uh, I was hanging out with, in that band was Jeff Watson, uh, Bob Daisley, and Joel and Turner, you know. So basically, you know, I was up there hanging out in San Francisco with these guys while we were working on this. And he, um, Jeff Watson, had just gotten a record deal. He just came out of um, Night Ranger, and he got a record deal, you know. And I said, man, your guitar players get a record deal so easy. I did an album in 82, a solo album. I was trying to get a new solo album. And, you know, and I was still trying to get a deal. And these guys come out of a band, you know, and they get a record deal immediately. So I said, maybe I need to do a, an album of guitar players, you know, a guitar album. You know, maybe I can get a record deal then. I was kidding around. I said, I'll call it Guitar Gods. And then I thought of the name Zeus. I said, I'll call it Guitar Zeus, you know? And I was just kidding around, you know? And then when I went to bed that night, you know how your brain, like, doesn't shut off sometimes? You start thinking of things. Right, yep. 
I started thinking, this is, that's a good idea, you know? Maybe I can get some of my friends to play on an album, put the songs together, and just get the guitar players to play solos or rhythm if they want. So for the next couple of years, I tried to, you know, find somebody that can put a deal like that together. In the time that I was doing that, I ran into guys like Brian May. We did a clinic together at, at a music store in, in uh, Rochester, New York. And I asked him if he would play on it. He said he would. I ran into Ted Nugent. He said he'd play on it. I ran into the King's X guys. They said they would play on it. And I thought, well, just with those three entities, it would be like drawing cards to other guitar players once I get the deal. So, uh, and then finally, uh, I was going to Japan in 1992. We went with, uh, I went with uh, Jeff Watson. And then I started making more connections over there and ended up doing a tour in 1994 called uh, uh, Super Session Volume 2, because I did Volume 1 in 1982. So in, that, in the interim there, I, I tried to get this guy, Doug Aldrich, who was unknown in America at the time. But I had to talk to his manager about it, and his, <clears throat> Doug couldn't do it. And then I mentioned to the manager, I said, hey, you know, I got this idea. What do you think? He said, oh, I can get a deal out of Japan. No problem. And he did. So he got a, a good size record deal. And it cost me $100,000 to do that first record. Wow. But I did exactly what I said I was going to do. And I, I was working with uh, Kelly Keeling on that super session. And then I realized that he was a good singer and a really great writer. And I wanted Tony Franklin on the album. Because, you know, he's, uh, I love Tony's playing. With, with Blue Murder, we had such a great rhythm section. He was like the new uh, Carmine and Tim you know, pair. Right. And, uh, and so I, I wanted Tony on the album. And, and um, once we got the record deal, then, you know, I, I put Kelly in a hotel up near my house in Palmdale, California. And uh, we had a four track and we worked every day for like two or three weeks and put songs together. And then we did demos and we, we did everything but the bass. And we sent the cassette to Tony so he could figure out his bass parts. And then we went in and recorded all the tracks. We did all the tracks for like three days for the first album. And then I started talking to Brian and Ted. And uh, once Brian said he would do it, then I sent him tapes. That he picked a song. Then we sent him the 24 track. And then I flew to Michigan to get uh, Ted. And by then, Kelly had done some work with Ingve, and Ingve heard about it. He wanted to play on it. Then I flew to Florida and got Ingve, and then I played on the track for Ingve. You know, we, we sort of uh, paid each other by playing on each other's tracks. He wanted to be on the song with, with uh, Doug Pinnock. <clears throat> so wow, I Yngwie put him did. on the song. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Wow, cool. Yeah, same with Mick Mars. Mick Mars wanted to be on the track with Edgar Winter. Right, right, right. You know, so I paired these, the, the, those off, and, you know, and they. And little by little, you know, other people, other guitar players started hearing about it. It was like a domino effect, you know. And then once I got splashed, then other guys heard about it and said, oh, I'd like to do it too, you know. And then we got Paul Gilbert, and we got Jennifer Patton, and Steve Moss. Neil Sean. And Neil Sean. Yeah. <clears throat> and Neil Sean. And the funny thing, in those days, nobody was big because grunge was king, and all of us were like dinosaurs including that Mother's Army band that we had put together. We couldn't even get a deal in America, you know? And, and I never got a deal in America for guitar use. So I did 
Japan and Europe and all over the, the world, and we did really good. I did a second one that that got uh, Rishi Sambora on it and uh, Teresa Zappa and Zach Wild. And, you know, again, Zach was just Ozzy's side man. Dweezil was just Frank's son. He wasn't going out doing Zappa, played Zappa, you know. And Ted Nugent did the second one again. Ty Tabor did the second one. And then uh, I ran into John McEnroe at, at um, a management company. And uh, he heard about it. And he said, man, I, you know, I played the tie. I'd love to play on it. Yeah. I said, wow. <clears throat> so I put him on it. And then um, when I was hanging with uh, Richie Sambora, he do the record. We did a benefit out in uh, Malibu, and Steven Seagal was on that, you know, playing guitar with, uh, you know, like blues. Yeah. So I was jamming, and Richie was jamming, and, and Richie told Steven about the album. And then Steven said, hey, you know, I'd love to play on that. So I said, wow, oh. great. You know, but by that time we got Steven, all the tracks were already done. So I figured out a way to put him on with uh, Seymour Duncan, just two guitars and, and a snare drum playing a blues, you know, and uh, really wild the way it all came together. So those were two albums. But again, I never released them here. Then I did a Guitars Use Japan, a Guitars Use Korea. And, uh, and some of those songs that with the, with the Japanese and the Korean artists, were never on the other two albums. So they were like never really released. You know, like the song called Angels has Char on it. Char's the Japanese Jeff Beck, you know, I played with, with Tim Bogart and Char Bogart and the piece we played uh, 12,000 people in uh, Tokyo, you know? Right. And, uh, and, you know, it was just, it, it went like that. So, uh, yeah, I ended up selling 150, 170,000 records around the world, everywhere but America. You know? So and this then, is really the first release of this in the States. Well, it's the first release that had any follow through. Let's put it that okay. way. All right. Because I did get a deal and it was called the Carmine Peace Project to cause this. It was released by a Sweden, a Swedish label. They released it, put it up on YouTube, put it up on iTunes, and then they went out of business. And so they didn't do anything for it. You know, and then like four or five years later, I released it with fuel records. And uh, he released just a double record, Guitar Zeus 1 and 2, and really with no promotion. So it just came out, and, you know, nobody knew about it. So basically, in America, no, nobody knows about this record, you know? So when I was working with Robert the Pole, I said, you know, I'm going to do some catalog deals to get my Guitar Zeus records out, you know, so somebody, just so people can buy it if they want. And, and when he looked at the list, he said, man, all these guys are big now. You know, you should re-release this properly. I said, you know, and uh, I said, okay. So, he, But he told me that I should keep the digital rights because, uh, you know, iTunes is, is switching from downloads to a, more of the Apple Music kind of concept, you know. And he said, that's where a lot of the sales are going to be on the streaming, you know. So I said, okay. So I tried to get deals with labels, but they all wanted the digital rights. So I said, well, screw it. I'm not going to give up the digital rights. So I put it out uh, physically on my own little label called Rocker Records, which I've had, you know, a bunch of releases on, including me and my brother. We did Drum Wars Live, and we did, we did uh, Travis the Peace Live in Japan and Cactus Live in, uh, Travis the Peace Live in Europe, Cactus Live in Japan, a DVD and a CD. And, you know, so I've had some product out on that. So I just said, hey, I'll just release it on there. 
So that's what we did. Nice. And, but I never, you know, we never did any interviews for it. I never did any radio promotion. I never did anything before. So this is really the first time that the record's coming out and uh, to be noticed. And I have a new track that I found. Um, it was a 24 track I had in my, my 24 track. You know, I have a place where I store them. And I noticed, you know, the name. And I said, I remember that song. So I, I took it out of the locker and I had it transferred to digital. And when I listened to it, it was a really cool song. It was all done except for the, the guest guitar player. So I asked Bumblefoot if he would play on it. And he said he would. And so I sent it to him. He put his parts on it. And then he went out on tour with Sons of Apollo. Right. So I needed some more guitars on it. And uh, my, my engineer, Stevie D, who lives in Jersey, he, uh, he played really good guitar. I used him with me and my brother at these shows. So I asked him to heavy up some of the guitars in the chorus. And I needed some fills. So he put himself on the right and the left when he mixed it. And Bumblefoot down the middle. You know, so yeah, now we have a mother's brand new space. Song. Yeah, mother's that's space. Mother's great space. song. Great song. Great really. song. And it's a brand new song. It wasn't ever released anywhere. But that's the first bonus track with a new song. And then uh, I had done uh, with me and Pat Travis, we did Do You Think I'm Sexy, done a heavy version of that. You know, and uh, I put that on. Uh, that's, that's a bonus track as well. And again, that was never really released for, for buying anywhere. Yeah, and I know and, most uh, people know this, but just for the listeners, in case you don't, that Rod Stewart classic, of course, you and Rod wrote that together and recorded yeah, it together right. back in the 70s, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it was number one in every world, every country in the world, every free world country, I should say. And, you know, and we've done a heavy version of it, which I've been doing. I did it when me and Pat did tours together, and I, I did it, uh, we do it all the time with my brother, with me and Vinny, uh, as part of our show. And people love it. It goes over great. So now it's available, you know, on this Guitarsist record. And then there's the Chaff song. And then there's a song called Nothing that had John Norum on it that was never released. From Europe. And yeah. then there's, a, yeah, from Europe. And there's another song called Couldn't Be Better that has a, another Japanese guitar player. And the only place that that was released was on a movie called Dish Dogs, you know. And it was done for a soundtrack. And it was... It was done for, you know, you heard it in a movie for like 15 seconds, you know? So, you know, so pretty much there's like five new, new, newer songs on it, on the whole album that were never really heard before. Yeah, it's so. such, it's such a great <clears throat> listen to, I, I gotta tell you, I love the, the song you did with Zach, I think Code 19, um, yeah. is, is great, but you know what one of my favorite tunes on the album is? And it, it, I mean, it should have been an FM radio rock hit because it's it's so good. Perfect day. Do you remember that one with, with oh, Warren? Without a doubt. It's so without good. Who wrote? You wrote that one? Yeah, Kelly, me, and Tony. God, that that, that should have been an FM radio hit. I mean, it's it's uh, so Ke good. Kelly, Kelly's a great writer. He's a great lyricist. You know, all his song lyrics are not just the normal, you know, your normal lyrics. If you listen to all the lyrics, they're like. Saves the country, saves the world, you know, uh, very spiritual songs, you know, and he's really a great writer, great melodies, great hooks, great singing, really cool chord changes, you know, I mean, him work together really, really great. His, his problem, he wrote too much, 
sometimes. You know, <laughs> right. I used to have to I used to have to be the butcher and cut all all the fat from the songs, so the songs were more got to the point. You know, and uh, and we used uh, and in production. You know, I was very happy with the production. You know, I produced this record, and Kelly was like a co-producer, and and you know we did all this Beatles kind of ear candy. You know, in that song as well. So we had a Mellotron on some of the songs, and uh, uh, I love this, this song like Beatlewise, like song called Safe. It's very John Lennon, right? You know? Right. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely hear that Beatles influence on on a number of the songs on the record. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And yeah, I, I always said it was like Soundgarden meets Blue Murder meets the Beatles. Right on. That's how I described it. I think that's know? accurate. And, and we tried not to make any filler songs every song was a really good song you know every song you walk away with singing the singing the chorus you know they're very sing-along kind of choruses yeah absolutely it's a great record we're going to feature some of the music here on the podcast today and uh yeah carmine i've been really enjoying your book stick it i mean what a what a career you've had from from vanilla fudge to cactus to working with Jeff Beck to uh, the Mike Bloomfield stuff I found interesting in there. I mean, I never knew the blow-by-blow uh, yeah, right? blow stuff. That that was really interesting that you yeah, were actually on, basically on blow-by-blow blow and then kind of wiped off the, the classic yeah. uh, Jeff Beck record. I mean, that's an amazing story. Yeah, and I never got paid a dime wow. for all the work. It was really or more amazing how I, how I let that fly by to not getting paid anything. You know, I mean, they yeah. should at least pay me for the sessions I did, you know? Yeah, I mean, you're a forgiving guy because you go into that in the book. I am. And you, you, you made I up am. with yeah. Jeff Beck. I mean, uh, and I, I give you credit because there's a lot of people who would take that grudge to the to the grave with them. So I, I, no, Rod, Rod, Rod and Jeff took uh, the grudge for years and years, you know, until I helped them get back together. Uh, it was easily a 10-year a ten year grudge right. they had and you, with each other. You go into that I mean, in the book how the, how you got them both in the same room together and they kind of glanced at yeah. each other and yeah it's a really yeah, great yeah. yeah 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 I John Sykes still has a grudge against uh, Coverdale you know, it was twenty right. was it been twenty five years right <clears throat> you know so I I don't believe in it I believe you know things happen uh, I mean I, if I would have so if I would have sued Jeff Beck hey, I would have never you know he would never be a friend ever again right. You know? And I I knew that, so I just let it go. But I'm thinking in hindsight now, I mean, I, they at least should have paid me for my sessions and my time. So I was there for three months working on that record, you know? Wow, wow crazy stuff. And and just so the, the listeners know, <laughs> you and I are actually planning to sit down again later this month and really go deep into your history. Uh, there's just so much of it from, you know, King Cobra to Blue Murder to to Jeff Beck, to Rod Stewart, to Ozzy Osbourne. I mean, it just goes on and on. We're really going to try to cover a lot of that history later this month. This interview today was primarily just to let everyone know about the amazing Guitar Zeus album and reissue that's out right now with the new songs that you mentioned. It's so good. And you know what? Before I let you go, though, I did have to ask you about this this thing that happened recently. Vinnie Vincent, who you've had a history Uh with, reappeared yeah. suddenly about a year ago at a kiss convention in Atlanta after kind of, kind of being off the grid for at least a couple decades 
And there was then this big comeback concert planned in, uh, I guess it was uh, Tennessee, Memphis, I think. And you were going to be a part of that. You and Tony, actually, who coincidentally is on the uh, Guitar right, Zeus album. Right. And right. and what happened? It, it kind of it was postponed, and then and then I guess canceled. Did did you? Yeah. Did you ever get together with him and rehearse? Like where? No, we... no, no. All I did was you know talk to him on the phone a bunch of times, and and he was telling me you know that this is a great time. We can go out. We can really take advantage of this. And, you know, me and Tony were gun ho. You know, but uh, but you know he never really uh, done anything to to move us forward you know uh we we didn't get a you know we're working with the promoter derek derek christopher he's the guy that that, that pulled him out of retirement and did that kiss that kiss uh, convention yes you know and uh you know and i believe he called me and asked me if i'd be interested in playing with Vinny at this concert and you know and i had talked to Vinny after he did the kiss the comeback because you know I've known him. He was in my group Carmine and the Rockers, uh, 1979, 1980. We wrote some great songs. We had a really killer band. We did shows. You know, we played the Whiskey uh, two nights sold out. We did you know all kinds of gigs up in uh, uh, up and down California. We did really well, and we were getting ready to do a record deal. And then we had a, a certain deal with Vinny for the songwriting because he was the main songwriter. But, you know, I had the, the clout with the manager and everything. So we just said, look, let's just split all the writing with the band, you know, and the publishing and, you know, like uh, Cactus did, like Van Halen does, like so many bands do, you know. And we did that. And then at the end of it, when we were getting ready to get a, a deal, then he, he sort of reneged on the deal. And that was, that's what broke the band up. Wow. And from what I understand, it's the same kind of stuff that happened with Kiss, <clears throat> you know. And then he went on to... Join Kiss. As a matter of fact, the Kiss guys asked me before they got him what it was like to work with him, and I told them what happened. And they said, "Okay, well, at least we 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 know, you know. Thank you for the for the information. You know, I couldn't lie to them. Say everything was wonderful. But Vinny was an amazing guitar player, you know, and a great songwriter, a good singer, and pretty much a nice guy. Except his business practice was crazy." Is he yeah. kind of like his own worst enemy, you think? I mean, I think Gene is. I think that. so. I think so, because he, I agree with Gene with that, because, you know, this thing would have been great, you know? And he, he, he that Robert Fleischman didn't want to do it. And, you know, and he was bent instead on, on having Robert, Robert Fleischman. And, you know, when Robert said he wouldn't do it, then we, you know, I, I gave him three really good singers. And then in the end, uh, I thought he, he 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 said he was okay with the singer we used in uh, Drum Wars, you know, and, and uh, with with Derek Christopher, the, he was the promoter of the show now, and he, uh, you know, he said, yeah, so we we, we should be good with uh, with with uh, Jim Green, you know, and so we thought everything was good, but we still were asking Vinny for the uh, for the set list, and he's not not responding, you know, and. So Derek wrote out a set list. And then when I talked to Vinny, he said, no, we're not going to do this song. We're not going to do that song. We're, we're just going to jam. I said, Vinny, uh, people want to hear songs. And then he, he did a, a, a voiceover for the video, motion video. I said, if you come down, we're going to do Kiss songs and Vinny Vincent, the bass right. song. 
you know, I mentioned, you know, maybe you should do a Blue Murder song since you got me and Tony, you know, because it would be really, really cool. You know, I think the audience would love it, the same audience, you know. And he said, no, I just want to do Kiss and Vinnie Vincent. Okay. And then when it came down to the set list that uh, Derek gave, you know, he didn't want to do a lot of the songs, hmm. you know, on the phone anyway to me. And then, and then he said, uh, you know, we'll just jam. And I said, you know, people want to hear songs. They don't want to hear shred, right. you know. And then it, you know, and then I hadn't talked to him uh, again since that. And then, you know, and then it was, it got to the point where we got, we, we got, got uh, Jim Crean involved. So Derek announced it. And then Vinny said he didn't want Jim Crean. And then, then next thing I know, the whole thing was being canceled. It was just a mess. Right. Wow. Know? It sounds like you put a lot of time into, you know, trying to make I did. it happen. Uh, yeah. I did. I, and I like Vinny, you know, I think he's a, basically a nice guy and he's a great player and I was looking forward to playing with him, you know, but I don't know, you know, I don't know what's going through his mind, you know, but you know, I thought that if you blew these out, you know, it's not, not good for his career, you know, right. right. Cause you know, you blew it out once you blew out and that, that one I didn't understand either. He had, he had a, a gig in Graceland. They have a nice, beautiful venue in Graceland. And Vinny, this would have been the very first um, hard rock or, you know, metal, whatever you want to call it, band ever in this place. And, it, you know, Graceland, Elvis is Graceland. What a great place wow. for a comeback show. Yeah, definitely. And he, and he blew that out. I don't know why. Do you, did you, you know? ever have any concerns? I mean, because I, I interviewed Vinny probably like in April, and I, I said, you know, we, we still haven't really seen you pick up a guitar and, and, and shred and play like you used to. And when I and I basically asked him, you can still play, right? And he was so offended, I felt like, when I asked him that. Well, um, uh, I, said, I did the same thing. After I saw him on that Kiss Cruise thing, I said, Vinny. Uh, pre-party for the Kiss Cruise, right? Yeah, the pre-party. I said, you know, why didn't you play any solos? I mean, you know, you always love to show off your solos because you're a great soloist kind of thing, you know? And I said, so, you know, I just got to ask you, can you still play like that? He said, of course I can play like that. I said, okay, good. I believe them, you know? Right. All right, so it's it's canceled. It's not postponed. You are you have no plans to... Oh, to... no, it's, can it's canceled. I mean, right. Derek, is, Derek is done. I mean, he... I mean, he paid Vinny some money, I believe. You know, they, they, they're going through some. They they made some sort of settlement uh, that that I guess both of them are happy with. You know, but uh, you know, you know, Derek paid him money. He paid us deposits. You know, and uh, you know, so and then he had to return all the money for everybody that bought tickets. And uh, it, it's really really sad. Yeah. It's too bad because it would have been a great band. You know, would and Jim Crean, our singer from Drum Wars, he's a good, you know, he, he's a good performer. You know, he sings all the things. And yeah, and Robert Fleischman sings really high. You know, there's not a lot of singers that could sing up there, and Crean could sing up there. You know, and yesterday I saw uh, Billy Sheehan with Palace, and uh, this guy Phil Narrow, who's a, I work with in the Platinum Rock All Stars, which is like a classic rock conglomeration like me and. Rudy Sazo, Phil, and Bumblefoot, Jeff Downs, you know. Right, uh, at the Iridium. And, yeah, I saw him at the Iridium with Billy yesterday. 
Well, he was awesome. I said to myself, I should have asked him to do anything too. He's another yeah. one that could have done it. Right. On. You know, but uh, the the thing. Did I say Billy thing? The Vinny thing. Yeah. You said the Vin- Yeah, you said the Vin- yeah. <laughs> I just said Vinny. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, but it's really a shame, you know, because uh, Vinny he disappeared first of all. Uh, that was so. That was weird. And then, and there was all the rumors that he's uh, he, he had a transformation to a woman. And you know, and he—I gotta say—he doesn't look like the old Vinnie Vincent anymore. Right, right. Yeah, you know, he looks like, uh, you know, he, he doesn't look like Vinnie. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, everybody can make their own judgment <laughs> what it is, what he looks like. You know. Right on. I hear you. Well, but, I mean, but, I guess the, but, the bottom line is we hope he, whatever's going on with him, he can get his act together. Yeah, and, I, mean, and, I mean, I know. But I mean, like, yeah, you know, I had, the best. I, had, I had multiple conversations with him. They're really good. I mean, the first conversation I had with him, he, he got on the phone and he thanked me for something. I said, well, what are you thanking me for? He said, well, you lent me a set of drums back when I was putting some of my stuff together. And, uh, you know, you lent me a set of drums and I never got to thank you. I said, I tell you the truth, Vinny. I didn't even know I lent you a set of drums because I used to have a, a drum uh, rental business with my brother, and it was in the uh, basement of my manager's house. And it's the manager that that managed uh, Common and the Rockers. So probably when I was out on the road with Rod or something, he might have needed a drum set. My manager said, "Sure," you know. So I believe that's what happened. You know, and I said, "Well, it's not, no problem. You have to thank me." I said, "I don't even know I lent it to you, but uh, I appreciate it." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then the conversation continued. We talked about, you know, a lot of the stuff. You know, I knew his wife, you know, his, his wife got uh, <coughs> murdered back uh, 20, 25 years ago. You know, and we, we talked about that. We talked about a lot of personal stuff, you know, and, you know, and it's uh, just, you know, really a shame. It really is a shame. I was very, I was disappointed. Tony was disappointed, you know, because we were looking forward to playing together and playing with Vinny. Because he never played with Tony, and Tony never played with Vinny. And I'm telling both of them, like, Vinny, Tony's amazing. You'll love him. I'm telling Tony, Vinny's great. You'll love him, you know? And uh, it's a shame it never happened, you know? Yeah, well, it it is a shame. And, again, we we wish Vinny the best. We hope he can get it together. Yeah, I hope he does. you know, I'm a fan of of the stuff he's done. So uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see if anything further happens with Vinny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, we even had we even had a comment in the comment in the rockers. Uh, Derek wanted to release the vinyl, and we had eight tracks recorded, and we could have done you know for, just for these gigs like release you know hundred vinyls, you know. Right. And, and call, I said we should call it before the metal, because it was sort of like a new wave kind of thing, like a heavy cheap trick or something, you know. Right on, and that was the band you had with Vinny in the late seventies that. Yeah, you guys never yeah. released the an album. No, no, we never did because of the the problem with the songwriting, you know. So right. we never did. But one of the song called "Tears" that he did with John Waite. Yes, that was one of our songs. Oh, he rewrote it again. Right. But it, originally, we 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 put it together. We have a different version of it, you know. With it, uh, done totally different, you know, and uh, yeah, so. It's just one of them things, you know. So he didn't want to release that either, you know. So, you know, so those tapes are just sitting in my, in the vault, as they say. Right on. Well, I hope we get to hear him someday. But, yeah, yeah. Know. And there's some good stuff, really good stuff. I, I even have a live cassette that we did on uh, 
we bounced it to uh, digital, a live cassette of the band uh, in California, and it was smoking. It was, it was great. It was really great. Audience response was great. The songs were great. The band sounded great. The mix was really good. And, uh, you know, it, it would be a good bootleg. Let's put it that way. Right on. Right on. <laughs> Cool. Well, Carmine, again, we're going to hopefully sit down later this month and talk more about yeah. your just incredible history. But in the meantime, we got to just recommend that everyone go out and check out the Guitar Zeus album that is just, like I said, it's just great. And the songwriting, I mean, the guitar playing obviously is is mind-boggling, but I think there's just, the songwriting on this record is so yeah. solid. It's such, it, there's yeah. so many good songs that people yeah. need to go and discover and uh, great stuff. Yeah, a little story about Brian May, right? When uh, he, we sent him the album, you know, he called me and said, I have a big problem with the album. I said, what? I'm thinking, oh, great. One of my big star guys has right. got a problem, right? He says, I played it for my staff and everybody loves it so much, I need more copies. I said, whoa. <laughs> right. wow. I said, okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah. No, it is some great songwriting on there. And uh, yeah. I, I just uh, really want the listeners to go out and, and discover or rediscover the Guitar Zeus record because it, yeah. it is some great stuff. And Carmine, as always, it's great talking with you, and I, I look forward to speaking with you more down the road. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you.
Jesse featuring Pat Travers and Carmine Apice. And of course, Carmine wrote that song with Rod Stewart. Big, big hit. Back in the 70s, I had the, the 45 single of that, one of my first pieces of vinyl that I ever owned. I had that. And uh, I remember... Uh, maybe this is too much information, but uh, there was like this girl in a spandex uh, leopard suit on the 45 and and uh, a blonde on one side and I think a brunette on the other side. And and I must admit that uh, something about that look uh, became uh, uh, maybe a fetish for me. And I think it really directs uh, goes directly back to staring at that record as a like nine year old over and over and over again for hours and hours and hours. But Rod Stewart, man, he he had a, he always had the beautiful women around him and definitely uh, like his uh, like his choice in women for sure. Gorgeous, always very beautiful women around Rod. So there you go. But we're not talking about Rod. Uh, we're talking about Carmine and Carmine is the man again. Pat Travers on that that's heavier version of of the Rod Stewart classic right there. A song that that they wrote together. Do you think I'm sexy? And now let's talk with Pat Travers right here on Talking Metal. Hey, it's Mark Striegel, and what an honor. A legendary guitar player is on the line with me, guys. Pat Travers, how are you, Pat? Hey, Mark, how's it going today? I'm just fine, thank you. It is going well, and man, you have given us so much great music through the years, and I want to talk to you about that a little bit later, but I wanted to start off talking about Carmine Apice, who has been a friend of yours for a while, and I know you're on his guitar Zeus album. You guys do a great version of Do You Think I'm Sexy? And I wanted to just talk to you a little bit about your history. I know you guys have played together for for a while. When did you first meet at Carmine? Well, I'll go back a little further because the other day uh, my wife uh, brought up the Ed Sullivan clip from when the Vanilla Fudge was on, like 67 or 68. I don't know when it was. But they were so damn good. And I was such a huge Vanilla Fudge fan. I loved Carmine. I loved Mark Stein. I, I wanted, before I, you know, really started playing guitar full time, I wanted to be Mark Stein. I wanted to be that B3 player and sing right. all that soulful stuff. So I, you know, I was a huge fan, but I always felt, that I could know these guys, you know, I didn't feel like that far removed from them somehow. They were so I met Carmine. Well, yeah, it was funny. I just, even though I was up in Canada and 10 years younger, I still felt um, some kind of kinship with these guys. So fast forward to about 81 or so. And uh, we were doing a tour uh, in Texas and Oklahoma and around there, Louisiana with Ted Nugent and Carmine was playing with him at that time. So, you know, after the shows, we would usually go to the, to the hotel bar. And if they had a little band there, we'd jump up and play. And I love getting up with Carmine and just hanging out with him. And we just immediately had a, had a kind of a cool friendship, which has lasted now since that time, since 81. 
and we boy we've uh, recorded some albums together we've we've been to russia together and wow and uh yeah eastern europe and all that it was uh so i've i've uh you know and he's someone i'll just call on the phone every now and then and we'll just shoot the breeze so you know he's like my older brother i guess right on right on and you guys do this great version of again do you think i'm sexy which was of course the rod stewart almost i guess i'd call it like a disco-esque hit massive oh it was total disco that's all that tune was was disco it's a silly song but i kind of like the version we did uh because the pedal board i was using at the time had this crazy uh voice kind of wah sound right you know was just sounded like a talk box but not really and uh, I loved it, but there wasn't many places to put it in, you know, because it was so off the wall. And uh, when he said, oh, we got to do these, I said, well, we got to arrange this, rearrange this sucker. So uh, I kind of, you know, came up with a different, a more guitar-heavy feel for it. And uh, there you go. But it's interesting every time I hear it when it starts, that crazy uh, uh, talk box guitar thing just sounds awesome. So it's not, see, when I heard it, I thought it was a talk box, but you're saying it's not. It's like a pedal that replicates it or something? Well, yeah, it had, uh, I remember it had different vowel sounds. You could change from aw to ah or ooh, you know. Uh, but they all sounded pretty crappy. But that one particular vowel sound—I forget which what, what it was—but it just had this wow, wow, wow thing to right. it, and it was really cool. And I, I haven't really tried to reproduce it with the board I'm using now, but I, I could probably—I don't know—it was kind of unique. It was a box pedal board. Yeah. Right on, right on. And I wanted to talk to you about. Crash and Burn, the 40th anniversary, it's unbelievable, is going to be next year. So right now we're looking at 39 years since that album came out. But next year, the Big 40, uh, just a real landmark record for a lot of us. And what what are your memories of recording that record? Are there uh, some things that jump out that maybe you could share with us? I know you had, uh, of course, Pat and Tommy Aldridge on the drums. It was it was kind of because here's the thing I started out in London and basically early 1976 and my first album was released there by on Polydor label and I did two more albums while I was in the UK but it was obvious that we were going to be more popular in the u.s because we were getting a lot of airplay all over the country in different places cool places like the bay area and chicago and texas and california southern california right and florida so um so we in 78 came to the united states january one was my first day and we toured for four months with Rush and uh, Foghat. Went around 
the country and Canada like tw- two times. And then uh, we, you know, we had to record another album. So we did have a little leisure time. And uh, uh, we went down to Miami and rent, my manager rented one of those great old uh, homes on a little island between Miami and Miami Beach. And uh, that I remember writing Crash and Burn in that room. Wow. Uh, but I wasn't recording that album. Uh, I was doing uh, Heat in the Street. So, but I remember the sort of genesis of that was, was in that Florida room there. So anyway, Heat in the Street came out. We toured again for, uh, you know, many months. And then uh, we, at the end of that tour, we decided we'd record a live uh, album so that we could release that and have a little extra time to work on the next studio album, which I really needed because by then, in three and a half years, you know, I'd done like four studio albums and all these tours. So it was just like, write songs, rehearse them, record, go out, tour, and then repeat, you yeah, know? Yeah. And uh, so I was really looking forward to having, you know, three or four or five months straight where I could really put together this this new studio album, which I wanted to be something very cool. And uh, so we recorded the, the last few shows, and I got to work on the crash and burn album and, you know, thinking, Oh, this is great. I've got some time to really concentrate on this. The live album came out and the song boom, boom, out go the lights was an immediate radio hit. Yep. And, uh, it was just played everywhere. So the record company is like, wow, you guys got to get back out and do some shows. So we would go out and play for a couple of three weeks and come back and be off for a couple of weeks and did that for about seven or eight months. And in the end, I kind of liked working that way because I wasn't recording like nine songs all at once and then overdubbing them. And, you know, I was just doing two or three at a time. Right. And, uh, so it's, I just, you know, it's something big time. I mean, it's nice to get that spontaneous performance where everything works, but you know, my material requires a little playing it and thinking about it. So, you know, I think it starts to settle into something. So with crash and burn, we got the chance to do that. And, uh, but yeah, I was really proud of that record. I think it sounds really good. Dennis McKay uh, engineered and co-produced that with me. And uh, he had done t- a couple of Tommy Bowen albums and some other stuff. But his records always sounded great. So Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's good, still good sounds production. great to this day. I mean, it's just held oh, yeah, up yeah. so well, so well. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and, you know, of course, I was super into playing keyboards at the time. See, I finally got to go back to my Mark Stein, Keith Emerson-type persona, you know, for right. uh, for Crash and Burn. 
And, uh, of course, I had Pat Thrall playing guitar with me, and he was just so freaking good that uh, I felt okay kind of retreating a little bit from being the dominant uh, guitar player at that time. Right but on. not anymore, boy. <laughs> <laughs> right. right on. Now, and Tommy Aldridge was with you at that time. He was with you for, for a yeah. while back in those days. Now, did he leave your band to join Ozzy's band, or was there time? Yeah, in... it's a little confusing. Yeah. We, unfortunately, we had the demise of that version of the Pat Travers band was kind of sad and pathetic, and it shouldn't have happened. I mean, we we just had crash and burn and we were finally starting to, you know, get up to the next slot where we could uh, do sheds, headline sheds ourselves. And we should have gone to Japan, et cetera, but within the management and everybody, there was just, I don't know, there was dissension that just couldn't seem to be addressed. I mean, I was, I wasn't into any confrontations and I just was pissed off that everything was kind of falling apart on me. You know, the time when it seemed it should be going up to the next level, but, uh, people are people and I was one of them and, you know, it just uh, wasn't meant to be at that time. So, right. I got you. So Tommy, it was hemming and hawing, and I needed to know for sure what he wanted to do, and he, and I just said, well, look, I, I'm moving on without you, and the next thing I knew, he was with Ozzy, but that was great. You know, I felt good because I knew Ozzy, and Ozzy right. had seen Ozzy, had seen uh, Tommy at one of our shows, and and he, Tommy was the perfect drummer for Ozzy's band at that time because, you know, all they did was play live. So, and, uh, yeah, because then I had problems with my manager and, uh, there was just a whole bunch of other crap going on that prevented me from being able to step up and be the leader of that band and, uh, and, get everything going right but i was a young guy i didn't know what i was doing right on and i suffered from extreme anxiety really wow yeah but i've dominated that now or at least learned how to manage it yeah yeah and that was just like i should put out a book because it it works (laughs) really and was that just anxiety in general or was that anxiety with performing no, no. I, actually, far from performing was when I wasn't, didn't feel anxious. Wow. You know, right. yeah. I felt anxious all the other times. Everything else I did all day, but not doing that. That was, and still is, the place where I feel like, you know, I'm, I know what I'm doing. I'm confident and I'm in charge. And, right. Yeah. Right. That works for me. And you know we're we're big uh, Iron Maiden fans on this on this yeah. uh, podcast too. So I did want to just also ma- <laughs> mention another drummer who made a name for his himself in the in the heavy metal world, uh, yeah. Nico McBrain. He started with you, or I don't know if he started with you, but he played with you for for some time back in the seventies. What are your your memories of playing with him? 
Uh, nothing but fun. I love Nico. He's, we had just, I mean, one of the things, we got along so well. I just had so much fun together. Uh, when I first met him, he was playing in a band called Streetwalker. And they were coming to an end. And the, the guitar player's girlfriend worked at my management company. So we went to that show. I went to the show. And Nico was just great and fiery and tons of energy and obviously loved what he was doing. And then, you know, I met him later and we hung out and we just, uh, you know, then we played together and he was awesome. And I, I still, when I get a chance, listen back to the stuff he played on Making Magic, but especially uh, putting it straight. It's just amazing. He, right. You know, it it wasn't easy sometimes to get those performances out of him, but boy, they're so fucking good. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And he's, uh, you know, but unfortunately, the split we had wasn't on very good terms, and some a number of years went by before, um, mostly he was able to forgive me. I guess. Right. Okay. <laughs> But uh, we see each other from time to time. He lives in Florida as well. And uh, we should, we were supposed to get together not too long ago for something. And, and then he broke his arm. Couldn't believe it. Right. right. Wow. Yeah. Three weeks before that, my drummer, Tommy Craig, was coming down a ladder and tripped on the very bottom rung. And he fell back and broke his left wrist oh boy and then two weeks later three weeks tommy or nico did the same damn thing only broke his right fist wow yeah so i was calling up all my old drummers and telling them not don't go up (laughs) any ladder (laughs) wow (laughs) things happen in threes right yeah yeah so how, how long ago was that did that happen just last uh the end of last year oh wow okay yeah, so I, he, I think he had, they had to reschedule some shows, which I'm sure didn't make him very popular in the lineup. But right, uh, right, you know, things happen. Speaking of lineup, your lineup now is just great. The guys you're playing with, and I'm listening to your bass player play and looking at his last name. And yeah. wow, it's a familiar last name, especially as far as yeah, bass players go. Can you talk a little bit about who's playing bass with you now? Yeah, David Pastorius, and he does have some pedigree. Uh, you know, his uncle was Jocko Pastorius. Wow. wow. And uh, but David is totally his own guy, and uh, I've known him for. For a number of years, I would see him here and there at shows in Florida and be introduced to him. And we never really got to play together that much. And uh, But then the opportunity came, and uh, he just fit right in. And, and even more as time goes on, it's like over three years now, but uh, we are so tight, and he does so many cool things, and the communication is so quick. And, uh, you know, he also uh, writes his own music. He has a band called 518, and uh, 
they're just releasing a new CD, and I played on one of the tunes too, so that's cool. Very cool. So David's great, and Tommy Craig, my drummer, he's just a machine. And he's like guys. He's been playing the two of them for about three and a half years now. So we're we're very solid. Absolutely, and you guys have some yeah. gigs coming up, right? Powerful. Heading up to to Canada next month. Oh yeah. Yes, Brass you're right. Brass Monkey in uh, Ottawa, I think. Gonna be, and I'm going to be in Ottawa on my birthday. What about that? Oh, cool. Uh, April 12th, right? in a yeah. long time. And then you got you got April 12th in Ottawa at the Brass Monkey. Yeah. And you got the 13th at the Rock Pile in Toronto. Uh, well, any that's other? a great venue. Is it? Very cool. Yeah, the Rock Pile in uh, West Toronto there. Yeah, it's, it's a great venue. We always do well there. And then I, we have a show in Windsor, too, uh, I guess, the next day. So, yeah, four shows up in Canada there. And then uh, I'm going to be, you know, where I have, well, what I've just finished is a, a new album for Cleopatra Records. And uh, awesome. just handed that in. It's awesome. It's so, so much fun. Uh, they approached me last year about doing an album and, and I, you know, I, I have my own, I didn't want to do an album for them of, of my own material at this point. So I said, what about if I do study, uh, 40s big band swing music? Wow. So, so I got into that and, uh, got, uh, well, I did it in, uh, four songs were are with my trio, with Tommy and David, and we do like uh, we do what's it called? <laughs> sing, 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 which okay. is an awesome big band tune, and then we do also in the mood, but right. like yeah. easy top, you know. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, and then. Uh, uh, a couple other tunes with some vocals, and then I got for the other four songs classic big band tunes. But I had the full horn section, uh, upright bass, and I had um, um, what's this? Uh, Tommy Dorsey's uh, touring drummer who toured with him for like thirty years, played drums. Very cool. So and piano and everything and you know so i got baritone sax trombone tenor sax and trumpet and uh man just and then of course i worked my guitar parts in where i take over the lead lines in uh, say the tenor sax or the trumpet tone and uh it it came out great i mean it's wow. it's a real hybrid kind of but it, it's traditional but i Swung my guitar in there somehow, and it works. I cannot wait to hear that. When do you think yeah. it'll be released? Oh, I'm sure. Well, they're, they're pretty soon, I guess. They seem to be. I mean, I handed it in, and right away they were getting on the artwork. So, uh, you know, of course, it's going to be released on vinyl, too. So uh, that'll be interesting. I'm sure people will buy one of those, even if they don't have a record player. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Just have, cause the artwork's going to be very good. Right. Okay. Gonna, because it's going to be on a, yeah, we have a larger format with the album cover. We can uh, spend a little more time on artwork. A little more.
more detail too always shows up yeah well on the, oh yeah exactly that's it detail yeah and, uh, well pat mm-hmm. it's uh it's truly an honor to speak with you i mean legendary player guys pat yeah. travers thank you so much for your time and we cannot wait to hear the new music we yeah. uh, oh which by the way yeah that album is called swing swing okay with, with, an, with, appropriate. An, ex, with an exclamation all right. <laughs> Makes sense. Swing. Too. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, All right, Mark. Well, it's been fun talking to you, and I hope uh, you got what you needed. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, Carmine, a piece, apathy, or yeah. a peachy is probably the way it should be pronounced. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's a brother, and, uh, uh, yeah, I love him so much, and, and he does great things with other guitar players. So. Absolutely. Pay attention to that, too. Sounds good, Pat. You have a great day, All right. and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Cheers, Mark. Thank you. All right. We're going to do a little tune now. We're going to need your help again. It's called Black Betty. Can you sing Bambalam? Try it out.
right there is Pat playing the Ram Jam classic, Black Betty, at the Iridium, a club in New York City that I love, and I'm actually hopefully going to be doing some booking with them, booking some bands, maybe some Mark Striegel Presents going on there. Um, Nothing firmed up yet, but uh, we almost booked last in line there, but it fell through. Um, So working on that, and that was Pat Travers at the Iridium, a great club in New York City that everyone should check out. Les Paul designed the sound system in there. It was a club that Les used to play every Monday night and yeah and Carmine you are the man we celebrate all things Carmine a piece on this episode and we encourage everyone to go out and buy the guitar Zeus record so many great songs such great stuff I love it so much it is just uh, really really a great record from Doug Pinnock to Doug Aldridge so many great players on this album and uh, yeah, even John McEnroe <laughs> some playing on it. It's so great. So without further ado, let's encourage everyone to go stream this, buy it, and uh, embrace the Guitar Zeus album. Just a great masterpiece of a record. And to take us out, we're going to hit uh, one of my favorite tunes on it. And it's not really metal at all or even hard. You know, I guess it's borderline hard rock, but it's just... It's an amazing song. I love this song so much. This is Perfect Day featuring one of my favorite guitar players, Warren Demartini. And uh, yeah, it's great. I'd love to get Warren on the podcast. He, he doesn't he doesn't really do interviews. You know, it's uh, it's wild. But love to talk with Warren sometime. Anyways, this is, again, Perfect Day by Carmine Apice off the Guitar Zeus record featuring Warren Demartini. And it'll take us out and uh, go buy this song on iTunes, guys. It's a great song. Thanks, Carmine. I love it. Just to feel the sunrise upon your face. Nothing but good inside my heart by the sea. It's only fashion. That's how it's gonna be Cause everybody I've seen knows Need a little space to find Time to find what really means To put your soul on mine Lord, you know And I know i uh-huh.